You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. In 2016, uh, Christina and I, um, she was pregnant and we had one car. We were working very far from each other. And so we had to do that whole, oh, I got to drop you off and then go back to work, that whole situation. And I'm like, hey, we need a second car. Okay, we can't, can't really do this anymore. We had about $4,000 in the bank. Um, some of you are judging me. Some of you are like, man, you are a great saver, right? But it was 2016. And, um, and, and so I, I went on Craigslist and I'm looking for a car. And I'm like, okay, there's this Honda Civic. I've heard great things. Um, there was like 80,000 miles on it. It was a 2001, which was like 15 years old at the time. But I'm like, man, this, this looks great. And so I grab a friend with me and we take our 4, 000, my $4,000 and, um, and, and we look at this car. And it's like, man, everything looks nice. The interior looks good. It smells good, which you never know because the car is 15 years old, right? Um, and I'm talking to this dude who's selling me the car. Let's just, let's just say he, his name is Jack. And I'm like, hey, Jack, um, I, I, can, I, can I test drive this car? And he's like, hey, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the tag isn't renewed, so I don't really want you to get on the highway. I don't want to get pulled over or anything. Yeah, but we can just kind of drive it around here. So I, I took the car on a drive around the, the parking lot. Um, and then I got out, and we kind of deliberated for a little bit. And I'm like, hey, I want to buy this car. So I haggled. I'm like, $3,500. And I, I get the car. And then I go put some gas in the car. And then I drive away from the gas station and the engine light comes on. And then the car starts running hot. And then I get the car home. And because the tag hasn't been renewed at my apartment complex, they tow cars like that. And they towed that car. And then I had to pay to get it out of the place that was towed, right? And then I had to take it to somebody to fix, fix the car. Right. And then I had to take it to somebody to, to the to the DMV. Right. To get the uh, the whole tax situation uh, uh, figured out. I drove it for a few days and I started noticing, man, this thing has a really tough time switching gears. And the engine light came on again. And I took it back to, to, to the dude to look at it. And he's like, hey, actually, um, the transmission is totally gone. In this 15 year old car. And I'm like, Jack sold me a lemon. You don't know how mad I was. My wife is pregnant and I spent all my money in my bank account. And because of this, I have trust issues. Right? Jack, the dude that sold me the car, cannot be trusted. Craigslist, some of y'all knew this, but it cannot be trusted. Honda cannot be trusted. And this 15-year-old car had 80,000 miles on it, right? 80,000 miles in 15 years. Odometers cannot be trusted. <laughs> and now when I think about Jack, my, my like, top lip begins to just like, like tremble a little bit, like, right? And I think like, why would you do this, Jack? How in the world could Jack be good? If Jack was good, I would have a car. If Jack was good, he wouldn't have allowed me to experience this. And what I should have done is is demanded that Jack prove that he could be trusted before I bought that car from him. But it isn't just me with trust issues. We are a people with trust issues. 
And the problem is when we try to engage with God with the same rules of engagement. If God were good, I would have this. If God were good, he wouldn't have allowed me to experience that. My question for you, do you trust God? For those who are yet to believe, trusting in Jesus for salvation requires responding to the good news with faith and worship and obedience. And for everyone else who already believes, trusting in Jesus is continuing to respond to the good news with faith and worship and obedience. And often our distrust of God is very understandable. It's rational, subtle, and the Bible calls it testing God. The interesting thing is that God is the one who tests us by putting us in positions to examine and refine and strengthen our faith. Like sending me to buy a car from Jack. And yet we are not to respond to his testing by us testing him. And the main point of today is this. Jesus is not Jack. Today, I wanna look at this narrative of Jesus As we look at how people in his hometown respond, I want you to think about your life, your situations, your desires, and ask yourself, do you trust God or do you test him? We'll look at this passage in three phases. First, the people are tested. Second, the test is answered. Third, God is tested. First, the people are tested. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Jesus was born in a noble noble town of Bethlehem but he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small, poor farm town in Galilee of about 400 people. Like that's a real, real small town. And and the connotation in the Bible of Nazareth is generally not good. And so you, you hear things like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now imagine being among the people of Israel and you are oppressed by Rome and then, in the oppressed place, you are the lowest of the low. They are looked on, looked down upon by other looked down upon people. They would struggle. They would have less than anyone and they would be the least powerful. And they would think about the promises of God, how he would take nations and submit those nations to them, how those nations would serve them how their land will be overflowing with goods and things to eat, how they will finally be the light of the world, that that, that Messiah would come and fix everything. In their view, when the Messiah comes, he, he will bless them and curse others. But for now, they are irrelevant and poor. They're stuck, captive. They were oppressed. They were sick. Some were dying and some were blind. Some even physically so. For the last few hundred years, they did not see the Lord at work. What they deeply desire, they do not have. 
And they believe God will give them what they deeply desire for them, just like the people of God back in Israel, wandering through the wilderness. This time was a time of testing. And we also experience times of testing in our lives, times of wanting and waiting, trials and unmet longings, waiting for a child they may never come, a relationship that you may never have, never enough money to put you at ease, success that you will never see, sin that is never overcome, justice that is unattainable, distress and heartache and depression and anxiety and betrayal and abandonment and loneliness. Even if the Lord is putting you in a position to examine and refine and strengthen your faith, sometimes we just do not see the Lord at work. The people are tested. And then Jesus comes home. Could you imagine Jesus coming home and he being like a dude you grew up with, right? And you find out, man, Jesus is like killing it over there, right? You heard it, he's healing people now? No. It's like, oh, he's coming to town? You're like, yeah, he's about to hook me up. I go way back in with Jesus. Like we were in detention together, but it wasn't, Jesus is perfect. It wasn't his fault. It was the teachers were jacked up, right? But he comes and he preaches the good news. The test is answered. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And usually what they do is that they read, they read from, from the scriptures and then they sit down and explain it. So that's what he does. And everybody's looking, looking at him and, and he takes his mic and he holds it up just in suspension, right? And he's like, today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And he drops the mic, boom. The test is answered. God intervenes, seeking to provide hope. He identifies himself as the Messiah, and he says, I will satisfy all of your real needs. And this sounded great at first. But the good news does not immediately fix your situation. The good news doesn't promise a child or relationship or money, or healing, or success, or that you'll be good at what you do. Like, hear that. The good news doesn't promise that you'll be good at what you do, or that you'll never be hurt, or that your family members will be saved. And many of the benefits of the good news are a struggle to hold on to, like joy and comfort, or good friendships other benefits of the good news you might not see in this lifetime at all, like curing of your illnesses, your mental illness, relief from suffering or persecution. Testing brings out what is truly in your heart. And so the people can start out and say, oh, this is, a, this is a, such gracious words. It sounds so good. 
But testing exposes what you desire most. And that's where the gospel is aimed, right at your desires in your heart. If you want Jesus most, it becomes easy to trust him. Because then you can understand that he never withholds anything good from you. You can trust him when he say that, he, that, that you have been set free. You can trust him when he says that liberty is coming. You know that since he is good, the reason I don't have what I want and can't get what I need is because God has determined that it is best for me not to find my satisfaction in things. Testing accomplishes something that nothing else can. Perseverance. And we've developed a culture that avoids anything difficult. Like literally anything. Like last night, I don't mean to offend you guys. I'm going to say this. You know, just don't bring me back if you're mad. Um, <laughs> we're talking about like social anxiety. How much of that is like, I just really don't want to go and engage with people because that's very difficult. But God says like, hey, you shouldn't stop meeting up with people. We have developed a culture that is underdeveloped in how to deal with hard things. Perseverance makes you not a good Christian. It makes you human. Perseverance is necessary for human flourishing. The greatest stories in humanity are those of perseverance. The reason we can celebrate Black History Month is because of perseverance. Salvation only comes through perseverance. Good news. Since God is in control and he is all powerful and good and loving, then suffering is for my safety. Suffering is safety. And you could say even in your hardest times, your good news is still good. And you can respond with faith and worship and obedience. But sometimes, let's be honest, the good news isn't that good to us. Because it's not answering what we want most. And if the good news isn't good for you, you forget that Jesus is not Jack. And the response will be to test God. And God is tested here. This is how people, the people of Nazareth respond to the good news, by testing Jesus. They treat him as if he's untrustworthy. In the back of the synagogue, there's a dude, they're like, man, doesn't he look like the dude you bought the Honda Civic from? I'm like, yeah, man, wasn't his name Jack? Like, nah, I think it was Judas, right? The people were consumed with what they hadn't seen Jesus do. Right, because they grew up with him and in 30 years, he hasn't done anything to fix our situation. I've been with him. He saw my family sick. What did he do? He just stood there. He was in poverty with us. 
They do not trust Jesus. And they test him in three ways, doubting, demanding, and denying. God is tested in doubt. And that's when they ask that question, isn't this Joseph's son? And it's weird because like the whole gospel of Luke leading up to this point, we're in chapter four, people constantly say who Jesus is. Gabriel tells uh, Mary more than once, this will be the son of God. Jesus is in, a, is in the, uh, the temple, right? And he's like, don't you know I have to be in my father's house, his father being God? God himself is like, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then you get to chapter four, right? And Satan's like, if you are the son of God, and Jesus answers him and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, right? And that's from last week. Notice that he didn't need to throw himself off of this, this ledge to, to, to trust God, to trust that he will do what he said he would do. And that's a word for us. Like we can simply just trust God's word. Even when we are in the wilderness, when we are in need, even when we can't see the Lord, he is there. And he is always loving us. He's always loving you. That won't always look like how you think you need to be loved, right? I, I could go on on a tangent on how I think love languages are fake, but like that, let's not do that. May not love you the way that you think you need to be loved, but he's loving you. Don't doubt because what you haven't seen God do or experience because faith requires faith. And then God is tested in their demanding. In verse 23, uh, Jesus sits down. And he's like, look, doubtless you will say to me, um, this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What, you, what you've seen done in, in Capernaum, do right here in your hometown as well. They question Jesus like, like, sa like Satan in chapter four or earlier in chapter four, where they say, if you are really the son of God, prove it. Except they do it with a, with a twist and they say, okay, physician, heal yourself. And, and the way I want to explain this is, is through a personal story, uh, um, what this proverb means. And um, when I was younger, I used to sometimes, a lot of times, get terrible haircuts. And like, I don't know how it is in, in, in every culture, but, but in, the, in the black culture, there's like one specific part of your haircut that you just can't mess up. Like it makes or breaks the whole haircut, right? And, and it's called different places in different parts of the country, right? Some people call it a tape or a line or an edge, but this part right here, right? Like just this part right here is the most important part. And mine used to be like this. <laughs> Lots of the time. Right? And people would see me like, bro, like, you know, like you're like. And, and for the select few that find out what my dad did for a living, they would be extremely shocked. Because my dad was a barber. My dad was a barber. And, and, and it's like, bro, wait, 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 wait. Your dad is a barber and yet you look like this. Like, dad, why don't you take care of your own people first, right? And that's what they say to Jesus. Physician, heal yourself. We're struggling. Why don't you take care of your own people first? The biggest issue they have in not believing that Jesus is the Messiah is that they believe that the Messiah would make their lives look a very specific way. Their belief is contingent upon what God can do for them. 
Jesus, he answers uh, Satan. He says, you shouldn't put the Lord, your God, to the test. And he quotes something in Deuteronomy 6, which is referring to something in Exodus 17. And what happens is the people of Israel, they're, they're out in the wilderness and, um, and they don't have any water. And they're like, Moses, give us some water now. Why did you bring us out here? You bring us out here to be thirsty and die? To be thirsty to death? And Moses, he goes to God and he literally says like, I don't know what to do with these people. And he says, why do you test the Lord? He goes on to say, they test the Lord and they say, is the Lord God among us or not? Is the Lord with us or not? Because if he was with us, we would have something to drink. And these people in the synagogue, they're just like the people of Israel. They are the people of Israel. And they say, heal us now. Are you going to give us these gifts we asked for? Are you going to bless us or not? Is the Messiah among us or is he not? When we don't think that God has lived up to our expectations, we respond in testing. And we're like, hey, can you show me the Carfax? Right? Like, oh, 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 no, if you're good, what you would do is you would get my money back for this car. But when I call you, I get a Google number that doesn't work anymore because a Google number is just a, a, a burner phone for normal people. Right? But that's Jack, that's not Jesus. When we find it difficult to trust God, it's because there's something in our hearts and that something is sin. And there are three types of, of sins that, that, that show up in our lack of the ability to trust, trust in God during testing. And one is entitlement. We are your people. You need to do something for us. And I've felt this before, really. And, and I, like, you ever get like a sense of unfairness? Like, think about it. Anytime you think something is unfair, like what, what, what exactly are you saying? You're, you're accusing someone of not being just. And sometimes we see some things that other people have that we don't, and we're like, why them and not me? But who are we? God is sovereign. Second sin we see is blindness. It's interesting that in this passage that Jesus quotes from Isaiah, um, inherent in, 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 in the Redeemer returning is these people's re, uh, repentance. And the only reason the, these, the people of Israel are struggling during this time is because they refuse to show justice to one another. And they refuse to, to honor God in a way that he should be honored. And so he says, yeah, I will come and save you to all the people who turn away from their sin. But these people in the synagogue, just like the people then, they're blind and they can't see. They can't see their own sin. And they're demanding things from God without even thinking about what is God demanding from them? Third thing we see in our hearts is idolatry, and that's worshiping another God. Desires in our heart, even good things that are more than our desires for God himself is idolatry. 
And that's what happens when we begin to test God. We say, hey, what I want is more important to me than whatever you're trying to give me through this testing. The people in the synagogue have held their sins silently in their hearts, but God can see it. And, and so he, he shares a story and he tells them, hey, look, back in the time of, of the prophets, you remember them, right? You remember Elijah and this famine came for, for three and a half years. And, and there was a lot of hungry widows back then. But Elijah was only sent to one and she wasn't even Jewish. You remember Elisha? There were so many lepers back in the day. But Elisha wasn't sent to, to some of the le- lepers in, in Israel. He, instead, a, a, a pagan enemy king came to him and he was the one who was healed. Jesus is implying, hey, some of these things you want, I'm going to go and give it to them and not you. And how do you respond to that? Do we respond to like, man, Jesus is unfair. Well, what is that to say? That says that you should prioritize me and not them. But Jesus is saying, this is the Lord's will. The Lord's will is to do that for them and not you. And sometimes when when God's will is exposed to us, we respond in, in testing him. But how do we reconcile a God, a God who loves with the God who sees real needs and says no? For the believer, he has good reasons for withholding so-called good things in your eyes. What is good for someone else might not be good for you. Might not be good for you right now. It might not be good for your community. It might not be good for God's overall plan. God has different priorities than you. And so we kind of need to submit to God's priorities, knowing that he's sovereign. But there's also this personal benefit, right? Other than perseverance. If you're struggling right now with that, that you don't have what you, you desire, it's because not, if you, not only if you just don't have what you desire, but also if you're just going through a really difficult time, God might be humbling you because he loves you. He might be disciplining you because he loves you. Not just disciplining you because there's sin. There could be sin that he's rooting out, yes, Also, he could just be developing you and shaping you, a stubborn person, to be who he's calling you to be. Three, he he might be saving you from yourself because he loves you. Because if you had things the way that you wanted it, you may not be able to handle it. He does not want to give you everything you need and want. God does not want to give you everything you need or want. God wants to be the everything you need and want. This is what Christian growth is. 
It's learning more and more that God is the everything I need and want. And so God sees those little Honda Civics in your heart and he points at them and he's like, hey, actually I see that spot right there and I I want that spot to belong to me. I want all of your heart. I want you to entrust your, your future to me. Your career, I want you to entrust it to me. Your marriage, I want you to entrust it to me. Your lack of companionship. I I want you to entrust that loving relationship to me. It, It gets very hard to believe that God, like, that what God gives can be better than the things that we, we want. That's how we are as humans, man. Hey, I don't know if you've ever been to a place that does like, <laughs> that does Brussels sprouts really good. Right? With like bacon and like maple syrup, real maple syrup. I never knew this could be so good. You know, God is not saying be a raw vegan. No offense to raw vegans. But he's not saying just eat these dry carrots. He's saying, leave the Starburst jelly beans to the side because I got something way better than Starburst jelly beans and raw carrots. I have these Brussels sprouts with the maple syrup and the bacon. We cannot even imagine what he has for us if we just put those, the things that we want aside. Jesus is not Jack. And these people in the synagogue, they reach the the final stage of of their testing and and they go, they transition from entitlement to victim, right? Like, God, I need this thing. God, give me this thing. To God, you are now wrong for not giving me this thing. And they reject Jesus altogether. Verse 28, when they, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Think about that word. And they rose up and they drove him out of town to, to the top of the hill, right? And they were threatening to throw him down. Think about that imagery from last week. Where Satan is like, I'll bring you to the, to, to the top. Throw yourself down from there. The people just like take this weird, instead of being in the image of God, they just, they just kind of reflect Satan. And they bring him up there and they threaten to throw him down. And this isn't like as ridiculous as it sounds. But what they're doing is that declaring that Jesus is a false prophet. And their response is anger and self-righteousness and judging God and they reject Jesus altogether. Testing puts us in a posture to be enemies of God. As if we're working for two different ends. Like 
We're working towards two different end goals. And while it's okay to be an enemy of Jack because that guy is a jerk, Jesus is not Jack. I get the feeling there's a Jack somewhere in this room who's like really offended. I'm sorry, Jack. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jack. You will forever remember this sermon. (laughs) Oh, man. One application. Receive the good news as good news, regardless of your circumstances. Receive the good news as good news, regardless of your circumstances. Remember that you are poor. That is to say, remember that you are poor in spirit. Remember that you are in desperate need of God. Remember that if you have everything, you actually have nothing that matters. Remember you are poor and remain that way. Not being poor is like not a good thing in the Bible a lot of times. When Jesus says it's harder for a man to get to heaven if he has money, that should like scare us. It is more likely for you to be faithful and poor than faithful and rich. Remember that you have been set free from the desires that tug at you, right? If we believe in a risen savior, he's given us a new heart. We don't have to do what we keep on doing. You don't have to do that. Um, Even like addictions. And we are addicted to lots of things. So don't just say, oh, drugs. There's also phones. You don't have to keep doing that. Do you want Jesus more than you want whatever satisfaction you are getting from refreshing your Instagram feed? Remember that you may have areas of blindness and ask God to help you see not only the sin, but its roots. Like, like, what is it that I really, really want that's leading to this thing? Right? We're, we're seeing the fruit that is sin, but, but not getting back to, 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 the, to the branches, to the trunk, to the roots. And repenting all the way back to the roots. Remember that the year of the Lord's favor includes suffering. Because you have Jesus in your suffering. Don't get me wrong. Later, you will get the full, the full benefit of everything Jesus is promising. For right now, you just get him. Is that good news? The bad news is that we, have, we all have made idols in our hearts. We all have ventured past what I would call a healthy lament and into something far worse, into something not good. We've all doubted God. We've demanded things from him. And everybody in this room at some point 
has denied him altogether. But the good news is that Jesus knew that you couldn't stand up to life's temptations. He knew that you couldn't stop texting him. He knew that if you were tested, you would respond and doubting and demanding and denying. And so that's why he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Without any food. Not like in a nice place to sleep, out in the middle of the wilderness, in the desert, where it's cold at night and hot in the day. And he experienced the worst things that he could so that even when you have it the worst, you can look at him and say, oh, he did it for me. He did what I could never do. And then he took all of that merit that, that he had earned from doing what you could not do, from living the life that you could not live. He, he took all of that merit and he, he held it here while looking at you and saying, look, I know you are gonna fail. I know that you are sinful to your core. I know that you will desire something more than me, but what I'm gonna do, I, I'm gonna make a trade with you. And I'm gonna take on all the punishment that you deserve for desiring all these little pitiful gods over me. And I'm gonna die on a cross and take the penalty for your sin. And I'm gonna raise from the dead and prove that I'm God, that I'm better than everything you could desire. And if you just believe on me, I'll give you this. All this earned merit, all these benefits of life, you want God in your hearts? You want what you desire most? I'll give you that. If you believe in me, and we look at him and we say, man, how could you do something like that? Like, wh why would you love me in that way? I don't deserve it. I've, I've denied you. I've demanded from you. I've doubted you. And he says, that's because I am Jesus, not Jack. And by God's grace, it hits us that we're Jack. We're the ones that cannot be trusted. And yet Jesus comes to save you because he loves you more than you can imagine. And he says, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me, even in your times of testing. 